Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the State Score podcast, where we discuss everything going on at Southampton Football Club. Transfer deadline day came and went, with Southampton securing the services of centre-back Taylor Harwood-Bellis and striker Ross Stewart. He came from Sunderland and there were some reports doubting the move, but there was no doubting Southampton's deserved loss on Saturday. There was hope that the Saints would continue their unbeaten start to the season, but a resurgent Black Cat side purred to a 5-0 win. To discuss it all and preview the upcoming game against Leicester City, my name's Harry Tiz and I'm joined by Ollie Boast and Mikey Maidman. And I'll start with Ollie. How are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. I've just about recovered from watching the game. I went to the watch along thing you know at the stadium where you got yourself a very nice bacon and sausage bat i thought yeah you could have have two bacon two sausage or one of each i went for one of each i mixed it up it was very good i'd like to report that the bacon sandwich was very good um got a little free drink there it was was a nice little atmosphere everyone was there and they got killed by it in about 30 (laughs) seconds um so i i thought this could be really good if we actually played well and then we just got absolutely hammered and there was like even a point where we got like a corner. Some people were like clapping, yeah, come on, and then they just go to the opposite end and score. Just absolutely, yeah, tanked the atmosphere. But it meant I got to watch all the game. It was uh, eventful, at least to say that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. It's sweltering up here in Bristol. I'm guessing it's say it's it's the same down in in Southampton. We're going to be it's sweltering down, sweltering down south too. Yeah, sweltering down south. I think it's it hit twenty eight down here. Oh, something ridiculous today. like that. It is warm. Well, it's September shouldn't be mm. this warm. <laughs> Not be this warm. We've talked about the heat, Mikey. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I mean, my my Saturday, I managed to listen to the first goal and then Radio Solent cut out because I was on my way to Bath and we left the region of Radio Solent. So I was annoyed at that. And then the, all the notifications started coming through with Sunderland 2-0, Sunderland 3-0. And sort of like, oh, maybe it's not the not the best game to listen to. But no, I'm, I'm doing well, Harry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, my friend. It is sunny down south, like you said. Smiles on faces, apart from Saturday, that is, because uh, we lost hmm. 5-0. Because it was the 12.30 kickoff, it felt like we could get it out the way pretty quickly. You know, Norwich lost, Leicester lost. Uh, only Ipswich, I believe, won around us, or at least the people really pushing for it. I think Preston won as well, so they, they're still unbeaten. They're top of the league, but Norwich less of the two that you really expect to do well from the early signs of the season. They both lost, so I'm pretty happy about that. But before that, it was transfer deadline day, the day before the game against Sunderland. Ollie, how would you review what went on on that day? Yeah, I think it was a good good piece of business done. Um Got two players in who I think will massively help the squad. I was searching up. I think Mikey could probably give us more detail into this, but I was looking up uh, Achilles injuries and surgeries and to see how long it takes for someone to get back, how that affects like their previous performance. Because I was really interested into hearing. I always like seeing what the fans say when a player leaves, seeing like you know the person that they've gone. If you look at what we would say about War Prowse, everyone was saying, you know, we were gutted to see him go, but we're, you know, glad to see him move on, kind of thing. That and I was looking at the Sunderland fans and they were saying that he's a real real kind of classic goal scorer, um, big talent. And if he a bit like how we describe Livermento, I guess, that if he reaches the heights that he did after his injury, then he'll be some player. So yeah, interesting, especially with that controversy as well that um that it wasn't possibly going through. There was rumours flying about that he didn't pass his medical and all of that. But 
that's not the case. He did, and he, he's in. Um, and I'm guessing he'll be um, building up his match fitness and recovering from the injury and hopefully providing an impact. It, it almost seems like it was going to be a replacement for Che, but Che's staying around, and we've we've added some more strength up front as well. So to me, it, it really doesn't seem a bad thing at all, and hopefully um, the, the injury's not too serious and can be on the pitch soon. Yeah, I mean, the well-respected Alfie House and Adam Blackmore both said throughout that there's no worries around the deal. And that made me feel a lot better. And Joe, we'll start with Ross Stewart. Mikey, what did you think of the move and maybe the, the whole drama around both that, but also Che Adams staying as well? I think Ross Stewart is a very good move. I mean, I, I don't know how much Southampton fans would have uh, heard about Ross Stewart beforehand, but... No, as Ollie said, very classic number nine, done really well at this level. And fingers crossed, he'll be someone who could just help us to promotion and um, and start scoring goals. Because it's it's weird because like we've always said, like for the last three or four years, we need a Danny Ings replacement. We need someone who'll be able to start scoring goals for us. And then Adam Armstrong scores four and four. Che Adams scores two or three in the first four or five games. And and you start going, well, do we really need a number nine? But I think when you look at striking options now across the league, I think we've got one of the strongest um, the strongest options for uh, whoever's going to play as that number nine. Um, che Adams staying around, I think, is fantastic. Um, I know there were a load of like weird rumours of how his move was going to happen if he were to go to Wolves. Like, he would sign a new contract to keep value and we wouldn't lose him at the end of the year. But... We technically would lose him at the end of the year anyway, even if the loan comes through. So it, it was a strange, strange circumstances. But I think it's fantastic that we managed to keep Chad Adams around. I think he's a really good striker at this level and, and maybe the level above if he's a, a, a high enough confidence. And I think he's proven himself in some way, shape or form as, as a number nine in the Premier League. And I think it may um, allow Adam Armstrong to play a little bit deeper if, if that's what Russell Martin believes his role best to be. If Che Adams not fit to start, we've got Ross Stewart who can play as a nine and um, Che Adams can play that little, not Che Adams, Adam Armstrong can play that little bit deeper um, and maybe we get a little bit more effectiveness out of him uh, being on the ball from deeper areas and being a little bit more tactical. Maybe maybe Adam Armstrong's our little Joe Linton and, and he's going to be our, our little project for Russell Martin. Um, but no, I thought deadline then went really well. And Taylor Harwood-Bellis, who I'm sure you were, you were going to talk about as well, he's fantastic centre-half at this level, being a part of Burnley's promotion side last season. And surprised he didn't get a Premier League move, really. Yeah, I think all of us um, last month sort of mentioned him going, if he's available, I'm surprised no one that's picked it, no one's picked him up. But I think Jason Wilcox was sort of saying how he rejected Premier League interest to move here. So hopefully he's not been put off the project uh, by the 5-0 loss on the weekend. Not that he has a choice. Uh, he's here. <laughs> the transfer window's closed. So he's here whether he likes it or not. But I think he, he wants to be. Obligation to buy only £20 million if we get promoted. What What's your mood when you saw that go through officially? I thought it was a really, really smart business, I think, because... He'll be a, a player that, if we do get into Premier League, will be, I think, really important to us the season before. So it will kind of keep that core of the team. I think the fee is is reasonable for someone of that quality, someone um, young, English, um, and then can yeah can be in the side for that Premier League. I think it's a really smart move. And then it, if we don't make promotion this year, then it means it will he will go. He'll go back and probably go to, like you say, a Premier League side because he's expected to push on 
and try and yeah get promotion and then he has the quality to play in the premier league as well so for us i think it's really good business i think i think it's quite a novel thing because I, I wouldn't have actually thought of putting in a clause like that but i think it's a really smart move so props to wilcox for that yeah, Don Ballard also, he went out through the door on loan to Reading, but that's sort of understandable due to our striking options. But something that didn't happen was getting a Nathan Teller replacement. There was rumours around Patrick Roberts. That didn't quite happen. And after being promised a replacement, Mikey, what, what are your feelings around the situation? Or do you think we've got a replacement within the squads in Cal- Camaldine Suleiman who stuck around? I, I think... Suleiman sticking around maybe turned heads at Southampton thinking that we needed to bring in another winger. Um, uh, again, whether Suleiman thought he was sticking around or not or wanted to stick around or not, he is now unless he's going to Turkey or um, Saudi Arabia. So at the moment he's here and, and at the moment I think he would be a fantastic replacement for um, for Nathan Teller. Um, did you hear what Theo Walcott said about him though? It was very interesting mm. like that. In training, he's he's almost taking on players too often, and it's it, that end product for him, which we saw against Liverpool in the four four at the end of the Premier League season. That end product is something that is there, but he sort of needs to learn that once he's beat his man, he's beaten his man, and there's space for him to run into because he's probably one of the quickest players we've ever seen. Uh, he's he's unbelievably quick, so. Yeah, hopefully Russell Martin can get work into him and he's recovered from his injury and fingers crossed he can make start in 11 or, or into the 18 against uh, Leicester coming up after the international break. Um, but I think that's probably what did turn heads at Southampton and maybe Sam Amuamwayu, I know he hasn't had the best start when he started. He's had a really good start to the season, but when he started, he hasn't had that sort of emphasis in the game it's easier to make an impact off the bench than it is at the start of the game so maybe that's something we want to see him do maybe he's been given opportunities to um, play in the first team this year and and have it, these minutes to be able to play in first team football and if we bring in Ryan Fraser so Laman is sticking around and then we bring in another winger are we just blocking that pathway for him so I think that was another balance that was probably looked upon uh, before signing a new winger and yeah, with Camaldine, I think that Theo said that he was one of, if not the fastest player that he's ever played with. So when he's saying that, you know he's pretty quick. Uh, one outgoing before we wrap up the transfer side of thing as well was Armel Belakocci up on loan to PSV. It looked like he was going to go to Bayern Munich. That deal didn't happen because of their deadline. I think they all also lost on, lost out on João Paulinho as well. So it wasn't just Belakocci that missed out on a dream move. Ollie, what do you think? He gets to play Champions League football now and somewhere that he, he probably would prefer to be. Yeah, he also got linked with Dortmund pretty much throughout the whole transfer window as well. So it looked like, I think I read somewhere that apparently his bags were packed <laughs> for the end of deadline day. So I think it was probably pretty clear that uh, he wanted to try and test himself at a high level. Um, we kind of predicted it when we did our, our episode, the, the keep or sell episode. Um, we kind of said that he's going to want to try and keep that international place and keep representing Germany he needs to find a club that he can prove himself at a high enough level which I think this loan deal will do um, so and it's also nice that we're, we're keeping him as well so if he does really well there then there hopefully will be I don't know whether there is a, an option in there with the loan or I don't think so no head shaking so but if he does very well then it's only going to really improve his his uh, value I think even if you have a fantastic season in the championship internationally I don't think that's as much of interest as where he goes out on loan if he does really well at 
PSV, then yeah, um, keeps his value. So I think it makes sense for us. It means the player's playing where he wants to. Um, he's still under contract with us. So yeah, I, I think it makes sense. I think it's a good deal all around. So a lot of incomings and outgoings through the entirety of the transfer window. But Mikey, can we have your reflection overall of what happened? We've lost some big players, War Prowse, Nathan Teller, Tino Liveramento, the main ones. And we've got a lot of money through the door. We didn't spend a lot. That could change if we get promoted. Obviously, Harwood Bellis would then go through for 20 million and that, that amount of money goes a bit higher. But what's your overall reflection on everything that's happened? I think that that was a stat that was picked up was that we, as a net spend, we've made the highest profit out of anyone across Europe during this window. And we made 120 to 150 million pounds this window. So, I mean, from that standpoint, bringing in the money for the players that we've managed to sell, we've basically maximised majority of that, getting the 50 million, 60 million for Lavia, 30 for Ward Prowse, 40 for Livermento. I think that Livermento one's a fantastic, deal for us and like I hope he does kick on but if he like we don't know he's had an ACL injury he's been out for 12 months so you don't know how he's going to be so having that having a player that's not played for the last year and making 40 million pounds off of him is really really good I think there's still a couple around that probably would see the exit door and you would have thought would like Paul on the watch you still being here I think he will always be the odd one out while he's here because he just hasn't made an impact at all um, throughout his time at the club. Um, and so he'll always be the one that's that's pointed to. But I think there's still a couple here that probably thought that they weren't going to be. But overall, I think we've done rather well with this window. We haven't spent a lot of money. The signings have all sort of made sense. And it's just seeing if they can be integrated into the side. We've kept hold of a lot of players that I thought we weren't going to. Carl Walker-Peters, one of them. I think he's a standout player for us to be able to keep hold of. Um, and you also have Jan Bednarek, who we thought he was going to get a move to Italy or, or or somewhere else. So when you look at that sort of standard of player that we've got, fingers crossed there'll be players who will make an impact in the season and help us go back up. Um, and yeah, I, I think overall it's been a good window, but it's sort of like trying not get too excited over a transfer window with what happened last year of us coming out of it going, what a great window, we changed the entire squad and then we go down. So... I, I don't want to be too like, yeah, we're fantastic. But I think overall it's been it's been good. Right, so that's the transfer chat done, and Ollie has the pleasure of starting the Sunderland section. We lost 5-0 on the weekend, 3-0 down at half time. We only conceded two in the second half, so I guess that's some sort of small positive you can take if you can take any whatsoever. Ollie, what did you make of the game? Not good. Once I forget. I think everything that could go wrong went wrong. I think Martin didn't want to compromise his principles, so he didn't really shut us off at 3-0. He just carried on. And the commentators made an interesting point. They kind of said, this is still time. The game's a riot off, but it allows the players to still continue with the style and learn the style. And I liked that. And I thought, okay, that's quite brave. And I understand that he's kind of, he's sticking to, to what he knows and thinks this is still an opportunity to learn. But by the time that fourth and fifth one in, we, you kind of went, let's not do that. Because <laughs> then they suddenly flash up that, that we've conceded the most goals uh, up, up until that point, which, again, doesn't feel very nice. It went from a very positive um, start to the season being undefeated to then allowing things to be turned very quickly. And I think even though Russell Martin kind of mentioned the importance of being not too high and not too low, this did feel like a real kind of low 
starting off the season. So hopefully the international break allows wounds to cover and we can kind of rebuild onto what is a really important uh, game coming up because, yeah, this was this was quite a blow to what was a very um, positive start to the season. Yeah, a real big blow. Conceding five goals against any team really isn't nice. Um, Mikey, what are your thoughts on the game as a whole? Yeah, I think Ollie summed it up quite well that everything that went wrong went wrong. Uh, I think when when you can see two shots from 25 yards out plus and they, and they both go in, you're sort of going, well, this, this isn't our day. Um, and yeah, that statistic of us conceding 12 goals in five games is horrendous. Uh, that, that's an awful, <laughs> awful statistic to have. We're conceding more than, what, two goals a game? I uh, know we've had the 5-0 against Sunderland, the 4-4 against Norwich. So nine of those 12 goals are from two games. But when you look at those games, we haven't conceded a massive amount. Well, especially against Norwich, we didn't concede a massive amount of chances. And against Sunderland, we didn't concede a massive amount of good chances. And yet we've somehow come away with conceding five goals. And that's uh, something that the club definitely have to look into. Russell Martin definitely has to look into. And I think there's definitely some pointers that I mean, I would say whether they take it on board, that's a different Mm -hmm. question. Um, Yeah, whether it's right. Um, But there's definitely some things that I would have thought we could do better. And especially against Sunderland is something we could do better. Oh, let's inspect that further. At the start of the game, or before it started, we made four changes. One, obviously, enforces a Jack Stevens' injury. It doesn't seem as bad as it first seems, and that's always good for the club captain. But Holgate and Mara both got a start. And Ollie, you're someone that doesn't really like to change the team when it's got a win, and we did exactly that against QPR. What did you make of the huge switches that Russell Martin made? I guess, yeah, that they were necessary due to the fact that the people were leaving the team. So I, I understood that you had to make changes, but I was a little bit apprehensive of both of them. Um, for Mara playing off the wing, I, I didn't know if he was pushing Armstrong out uh, and then playing Mara down the centre. But he said he was rewarding a very good week of training and a very good friendly against Brentford as well. So... I like that. I, I like the fact that a player can stand out and kind of be the difference in training and then the the manager reward him for that. So I kind of like that no, after knowing that, thinking, OK, yeah, yeah, well, why not give him his chance? And uh, I think it didn't pay off. I think I think Mara did kind of struggle, um, especially in his defensive necessities. I don't think he, he did enough. Um, but... Yeah, Holgate, again, I was a little bit concerned just to juice the fact of more when I was looking at it, the minutes that he's he hasn't played in, in a while, solid 90-minute football, and we're expecting him to, to play a decent amount coming in against Sunderland, who I said at the start of the season, I can imagine them being uh, quite a, a dangerous team. They've got a young team. I think they're one of the youngest in the league, but an experienced manager who I think can try and put that experience needed into those young players. But you look through that squad and they do have some good youngsters in there. So I thought they were going to be a dangerous side. Um, one of the biggest stadiums as well that we'll be traveling to this season. So they're going to bring a massive atmosphere. I think they had the highest attendance of the of the week as well. I think it was 41,000 in that stadium. So it's going to be a big intimidating crowd. And um, I think, unfortunately for Holgate, um, it, was, it was all a bit too much for him. And the manager after the game came out and said that, he thinks it was probably a bit too early to put him in. Um, so on reflection, you kind of look at them now and say, yeah, those two changes probably didn't work. But um, I still don't think it 
it makes up for the fact that how quickly we were out of the game. They might be people newly coming into the side, but that doesn't mean you should be almost out of the game by 10 minutes. I think that's still not acceptable. Yeah, we'll talk about Holgate a bit later. With Sakumara, he's not someone that did a lot right or wrong, really. It was just a bit of a, a nothing performance. I thought it was a bit strange to start him, especially after what would have been a busy day, at least mentally for him, seeing links away, both Germany and in France, how close either of them were. We have absolutely no idea, but obviously having debates about how he's settled in England and people doubting him already. I think that's really, really tough to the day after a fails move or a move that didn't quite go through, chuck him straight into the deep end away at Sunderland in maybe a position that wasn't favourable for him either. But like you said, we're out of the game really before it even started. 15 seconds in, we got a corner and I was really excited. I thought we're going to start the game on the front foot and it was completely the opposite. We got hit on the counter immediately and Jack Clark, someone that has been linked away with Burnley, showed that his brain was in exactly the right place. He headed past Gavin Bazunu, Mikey, I think Russell Martin mentioned it in the post-match press conference, but that must be a nightmare for the set-piece coach. Yeah, no, it, it must be an absolute nightmare conceding from a counter-attack from a set-piece. Um, I, I think you could tell from, from where the highlights were. We had a back four at that point, but our back four was made up of Mason Holgate at left-back, Ben Narek at left centre-half, and then we had Ryan Manning at right centre-half and Sam Adozi at the back post, marking Jack Clark. So when you're that disorganised that quickly from a counter-attack, it's always going to cause trouble. And unfortunately, Adozi has just completely lost his man um, at that back stick. And, and Jack Clark has got a free run on a cross that um, Stuart Armstrong turned his back on. So there, there are a couple of errors in there where you can sort of have a look at and say, look, that's that's a problem. I, I don't think you should turn your back on a cross, no matter what what situation it is. You you, you block that cross um, because if you block the cross, you block any danger that's going to come out of it. And I mean, when you look at that setup in a back four, it's completely disorganised because you've got the wrong players in the wrong places. Um, so yeah, it must be really disappointing for the new set piece coach who hopefully will be able to learn from that. Um, and again, it just starts you on such a wrong note. And we know that with this Southampton side, we've still got a lot of similar characters from last season. And when one went in, it felt like that two, three, four went in after that. And, and it sort of spiralled. So, yeah, it, it, it became a difficult afternoon after, what, 58 seconds. Yeah, I think he mentioned as well, offensively, the coach would have been really frustrated because no one was in the correct position. We almost took the, the corner too quickly. So everyone was in the wrong position. So when they were able to counter attack, similar to what you mentioned, they were like, what's going on? How, what are we supposed to do at this point? This isn't what was supposed to happen. And Mikey mentioned how the goals went in quickly after. And we will dissect each one to a relative degree. But at this point, Ollie, I know you're not, you know, a footballing coach. You're not a someone that deals with the mental side of the game. But how should we have adapted at that point? Do you think we should have just sat back and tried to control the game or let the sting go out and then play our natural game? Because I guess at 2-0, it felt like we were the better side between the 2-0 the and 3-0. But at 1-0, when it moves to 2-0, it's, it's a game that's already slowly started to escape you, especially when you're away from home. Mm. It's a tough one because I think our our style that we're trying to create, this philosophy is is control through possession and I think we were too erratic at that point we needed to settle I think is the key word into the game and realize that okay yeah we are one behind 
but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves and try and simmer this game down by by controlling the possession, which we did in bursts, but it always got punctuated with another Sunderland goal, which kind of took the that took the momentum out of us. So yeah, maybe coming off the 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 burner a little bit and just trying to control the possession and try and get a bit of a bit of a handle on the game um rather than it just being a really kind of erratic first 10 minutes um so i i but i think that is what we were trying to do i just don't think we were successful i don't think the players quite got comfortable at all and i think there were some players who played for however long they did 60 70 minutes and never really got a handle on the game i think it's it's something we were trying to do i'm sure that's what russell martin was trying to tell them just Calm down, it's too. It's going two hundred miles an hour. But I, I think the occasion maybe got a bit too much, and then by the time we realised we were already two 0 down by ten minutes, you're thinking one more goal, and and we're done. We're, we're, it's kind of a game over. Let's go home and get out of it, kind of thing. So I think that nervousness came through as well, knowing that we were very close to to kind of get being a write off. Um, so in all honesty, I don't know how you you get them to calm down, but you'd. You'd hope in future you can realise that let's not just continue making the same mistakes. Let's try and settle it down and try and get a handle on it. Patience when chasing a game is incredibly important in these sort mm. of sides. I think players get frustrated, especially offensive players. They get frustrated when you, you want to play a possession-style system and if you're losing one by one goal or two goals, the, the thought is, can we get one back quickly? Can we make an impact? Can we put them on the back foot? And I think sometimes that frustration then comes through when your centre-halves are keeping the ball at the back and not really making any headway. And then players are dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and you're instead of stretching the pitch and causing problems for the back line, you're actually just bringing, you're, you're squeezing the space for your own play. And that's when the problems come. Um, I think that's, uh, the, the, again, the side that is going to constantly be com compared to is Man City. And that's because Russell Martin says he plays in their image. He plays in Pep's image. And therefore, when you've got a player like Erling Haaland, his singular role, he's got the lowest, one of the lowest touch touches in the league per game. And his only role is to stretch so that there's space to play in. And it's almost like we need that striker just to sit and stretch teams, four centre-backs back create those gaps so we've got players who then can create the space. I think sometimes there was frustration from Adam Armstrong as number nine not being involved as much or Sam Adozi coming deep and not stretching in behind. Well, we can become a little bit one-dimensional in that way. Um, so I think that's where that sort of came from. And we played better after 2-0, as you said. But I think as soon as the third goal goes in and just before half-time as well, I think that's heads gone and they already know that the game's basically gone. Yeah, I mentioned the second goal here. Flynn Downs had an excellent appearance against QPR. I think it was 114 out of 115 passes, but he marked his first start with an own goal. Mikey, how do you reflect on that goal? We, we've talked about Liverpool in the past and Jurgen Klopp sort of suggesting that he doesn't want his players to block shots from that distance because he believes Alisson will be able to make the save. Look, I know it's a big jump between Alisson and Bazunu. I'm just making that sort of comparison. So do you think he should have tried to put his body on the line? But then I guess you can see on the flip side that their third goal, no one made the block from a similar distance and Bazuni didn't make the save. So how do you look at that? Uh, I think it's it's another issue where we haven't squeezed out. We, we've made a we made a good defensive play. We've tried to force him down the wing. 
they've managed to come out and find a central area and we hasn't we haven't squeezed out to go and press to them quick enough. It's the it's a similar goal that we conceded against Norwich. Rose um it wasn't Jonathan Rose goal. I can't it was the second goal we conceded against Norwich just after we went two one up. Um and then similar to Jack Colback's goal against QPR uh, in the last game where it feels like our midfield players are maybe a little bit too deep, or maybe that's exactly where they want him to be on the edge of the 18-yard box when we're defending that deep. But they haven't squeezed out quick enough. And Stuart Armstrong's turned his back on the ball again, being the closest one to the ball. Um, so, again, that, that that becomes an issue in my mind of of um, something that needs improving. Um, but... I, <laughs> It becomes difficult because, as, as you said, like Jürgen Kopp saying he doesn't want his players to block. But if a player moves out of the way of a shot and then it goes in, it's all that player's fault. Like, so I would always want players blocking. I would always want players throwing themselves in front of things. So Dowser's tried to make a block. It's flipped off his foot and it's gone in. And presumably you've not really got much to do about it. But I think if we... If our midfield line sat a couple of yards higher, Stuart Armstrong's got less distance to cover in that time and maybe he doesn't get, because he has time to, I think he has time to take a touch, look up on where he could, could put a shot and then be able to shoot. Well, he shouldn't have that time on the edge of the box to be able to do that. But it's a really good strike and it's just an unfortunate deflection for Dallas. Yeah, it's it's easier for me to say in hindsight that I wish he didn't make the block because if he didn't, but if it was finding its way right into the bottom corner, if he made the the block with the correct part of his foot, that's not a goal. It's one nil. Then plenty of things can happen. Though it did it did go into an own goal. But since that point, it felt like we we're slowly building, and we had the momentum. I think there was a graph where we had ninety one percent of the ball for one of the ten minute exchanges. Adozi had a shot from outside the box that he probably should have done better with, hit the target that might go in, and then we could have had a penalty Dak boots the foot of Manning VR VAR probably would have said yes but we're in the championship so there's no way to look back on it and let's be honest there's going to be things that sometimes we do get sometimes we don't get it so it's just one of those things Ollie do you think that moment could have changed the game or in a fixture where we've lost 5-0 is that a bit of a null and void comment <laughs> um I think it was a penalty I think he swiped swiped through him so yeah it's unfortunate we didn't get it um the referee just hasn't spotted it, thinks he's maybe the player's gone down too easy. I don't know. Um, we can't interview the referees, unfortunately, and find out what their decision was. Um, but yeah, it it could have changed it, it could have got us back into the game. I think you always have that cliche where it's like, oh, the next goal is the important one. And I think that's true. I think that is the case. We could have picked up and kind of thought, oh, here we are, here's our chance to get back into the game. So, of course, you could say, uh, you know, like that could be the changing point. But also there was a lot of individual errors which gave away goals that we'll talk about in a minute, which don't inspire me too much confidence for the continuation of the game. We may have got back into it, but that doesn't mean we would have got a result out of it necessarily. We we just don't know because there were still mistakes being made throughout the rest of the game that could have cost us. You think of the Norwich game. We got back in quite a few times, but we made individual mistakes that let the opposition back in. So you're right, it could have been a changing point. We could have potentially started to get back into the game and turn the tides, but we could continue to make errors that costed us the, the 5 nil. Um, and even if we got a penalty, we could still potentially have made those mistakes and cost us the game. 
Equan made it 3-0 just before the break. We made a couple of changes at half-time, but we then went 4-0 down what felt like pretty quickly after. Bazuna made a couple, uh, one really, really good save from Dak from close range, but he scored seconds later. And a lot of the blame is being put at Mason Holgate's feet. Mikey, do you think that's fair? I think for the third goal, yes. I, I think for the third goal, you, you do criticise him because it's, it's the, par- the pass out the back is poor and then he's chosen to press him instantly and that that breaks the back, the, the solid structure of the back four. I, I get what he's trying to do because he's made a mistake and he's trying to reconcile it straight away. But the problem is, is that then he created a giant gap um, in the back for me and everyone had to squeeze together and was a little bit disorganised. In all fairness, I think we got behind the ball okay. It's just another shot that's, again, not not been blocked. Um, and it's uh, it's one that's caught Bazuna out because you, you probably don't expect him to hit the ball at the near post. Um, and probably goal four is fair as well. I, I think Russell Martin's comments after the game were fair in the fact that it was probably a little bit too early for Mason Holgate to play a full 90 minutes. And we didn't really have too many other options. I, I know Shay Charles was someone talked about and he's done well in his appearances that he's um, he's had for the club and probably may have deserved a, a, a spot in the first team. But yeah, I think Holgate, he didn't have his best game um, to say the least, giving up a goal and um, really, really struggling. But I don't think that's... I think there was a lot of um, Southampton supporters saying that they didn't want to see him again and and, and that's the last that they want to see him playing in red and white. And I, I think that's a step too far. I think I think he's a, he's a good centre-half. He's played at this level for a reason. He's played many games in the Premier League for Everton. So it's I, I don't think it's the case that just because he's made... A, one or two errors in his first game and that 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 should be be all and end all but um yeah i I can see him especially if shay charles is there and and um tyler harlow ellis is um is is available i think yeah i I can't see mason holgate starting against leicester i think as well he had two opportunities for sunderland which he basically created himself he he did another exactly identical pass to the Sunderland um, midfield who went up the other end and probably should have scored. And then he also um, cut someone down on the edge of the box. They um, hit the free kick and good Bazunu save, but um, the rebound really should have been put in as well. So it could have been potentially three goals all from um, Holgate's uh, mistake. So I think it was a really tough debut for him. And I think he... He'll reflect on himself. He, he'll want to have a good impact to the side. He's not going to be happy with his own performance. So I think it's going to be a real test of his character to see how he comes through the other side and hopefully try and prove a lot of people wrong because he was on a quite a, a, a poor game and I think he'll be the first person to recognise that. And he, he was giving up some big chances. And I think he got... When did he get subbed off? I think it was 60 minutes or so and Jay Charles came on and played out of position in that centre-back position but looked relatively calm in there so um, I think Holgate realised he's, he's got some work to do and he does need to try and step up his game He, he did look a step behind I, I think mm. from majority of the game he really did look like a step behind he really did look like he hadn't played um, a lot of football over the last year he only managed 500 minutes uh, in the Premier League for Everton last season and he, he, what in eight appearances five of them being starts so he really did not play any football at all last season you could tell he he probably wasn't there and he probably was had quite an unsettled pre-season as well just because he probably wasn't in um Sean Dyche's plan so it, it probably was a little bit 
too early for him. But again, like with, with the options we had, we didn't have many other ways to turn. And uh, I think, as as Russell Martin says, Shay Charles probably is a little bit disappointed that he didn't start, and he, he might be the one starting on um on that Friday night against Leicester. Yeah, I would have started Shay Charles against Sunderland just simply because he's been able to train with the team a lot longer than Holgate. He's had more regular minutes at the start of the season as well. And with Holgate, he's made a couple of mistakes, but there's still over 40 games for him to make it right. He's going to still be a very important important part of this squad. If Wilcox and Russell Martin have both said, yes, we want him, then I think that he's he can still be really good for us. You know, People saying that he shouldn't play again this season, absolute rubbish. Uh, it can only get better for Mason Holgate from this point that he's had a big part in two of their goals. He could have conceded two or three more as well. But I was really encouraged, like you said, with the Shea Charles chances, two headers just wide of the post. Do you think he is in line for a start in the next game, Ollie? Or do you think it would be Harwood Bellis next to Bednarek? Or do you think Bednarek could be moved um, moved onto the bench? Mm, I think Bednarek will be will kept because I think he, he knows the system. If, if Bellis is up to match speed and he's ready to go in then I think his quality will be definitely like we will need that quality so if he's ready but he might have learned his lesson with um, bringing in someone a little bit too prematurely so I, I I guess we'll see I think it also be good to have that that quality if Shea Charles can play centre back because um, Flynn Downs coming in in that defensive midfield it means we can play both of them at the same time but having a natural centre back who knows the championship and shown his quality this season before will be a real step up for us is whether he's he's comfortable in the um in the system i think there is a, a lot to learn when you come in and learn this this system so if if he's up to it if he's match speed then i think he needs to be included but um if yeah if if it's making the same mistake twice then hopefully we can try and avoid that and play someone with a, like you say a bit more experience with with how the side plays yeah, Chris Rigg made it a fantastic five for Sunderland in the 95th minute. And a lot of blame for a lot of the goals that we conceded. 12, in fact, like Mikey mentioned earlier in the podcast, has gone down to Gavin Bazunu. Do you think that's fair, Mikey, that he's getting a lot of criticism? I don't think so. No, I think when you when you, someone did a thread on Twitter, I don't know if it was Saints Analysis or, or someone, I, I can't remember who it was, and that's probably quite bad that I can't <laughs> say, go and have a look at it. But someone did a thread on Twitter of every goal that we conceded this season, all 12, and I don't think you can fault for Zuni for many of them, at least like being not from a goalkeeping background. It's, it's quite hard to evaluate a goalkeeper knowing the positioning of where the goalkeeper should be, how far over they should be, what what angles they should be covering and how far they should spread and when they should go. Like all the little technical details, I couldn't tell you anything about. I, I, I wouldn't know. But from from what what my understanding of goalkeeping is, I don't think he has made too many errors in, in what he's done. Um, I think it's a carryover from last year and the fact there were, were a lot of mistakes that Bazunic made. And I think that's just carried over to this season. But I think arguably majority of the shots, they've either been short-sighted and he hasn't, seen him through a bunch of players or they've been within six yards and I, I don't there's not a lot you can do as a goalkeeper when when um when conceding shots from inside your own penalty area and that that's what we were saying a couple of years ago with Fraser Forster and Alex McCarthy when we were giving up headers within our six yard box on how can you react from five six yards away that quickly to make a stop we don't have like they're, they're good goalkeepers. They're not world-class goalkeepers. It's not like you've got Timo Courtois in goal being able to make those sort of saves. So 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that Bazunu's had a poor start to the season. I, I think he's been good. I, I don't think he's been amazing. But, of course, 12 goals conceded after the season last year, it's going to hang over his head. And, and you don't know how long that's going to hang over his head for. Ollie, do you think that Bazuni's become more of a scapegoat than anything? Uh, I think it's quick for fans to pick up on it. I think that a couple of the the longer strikes that went in, people can can point that and say he should be doing better. Um, but I, yeah, I, to be honest, I agree with Mikey. I don't think there's been any one real standout. So I've gone. He that's that's a, a fault of his. I think there's some of them where he could potentially do a little bit better. Um, that they they may have gone underneath him a little bit, but for me, I don't think he's made any like major mistakes that have that have led to an error. And I think that's that's the main thing for me coming into the season. If he's been solid enough, I, I think we've we've just exposed him a little bit with our defensive frailties. The fact that we've we've given so many chances, and looking back, there there was a couple of one on ones that he, he he did really well with to make sure that they didn't go in, and the amount of time that the Sunderland players had to get a shot off as well was really concerning to me. I don't know. We we seem to be, when play turns over, we seem to be brilliant at pressing and getting the ball back. But if a team can play through that press, then we look massively exposed. And the problem that I always notice is touches on the ball and time on the ball. And um, their strikers had loads of it <laughs> throughout the game just to, to get shots off and have time to do whatever they wanted, really put in a a lovely weighted cross or um, get it out of their feet and get a shot on goal. And um, I think people will be forget, uh, you know, be quick to forget a, a great save, which unfortunately had a goal uh, go in afterwards just from being unlucky. And um, yeah, a good, real good couple of one-on-one saves as well, which he, which he, he kept out. So if he wasn't on form, it could have been six or seven by the end of the game. So I, I think it's, it's not really justified. I think he's, He's done okay. He's been fine. I wouldn't say he's been poor enough to to leave the team, and I don't think he's been one of our best players. But I think he's been a consistent enough performer to be able to to keep his position. Right. Let's wrap up the Sunderland game and never have to talk about it again. Mikey, <laughs> what takeaways would you bring out of that fixture? I, I think again, and I've, I've reiterated this after every single game. It's, it's been exactly what was expected. We dominated the ball. We. We had more accurate accurate passes than Sunderland managed passes throughout the game, but the issue is is that we've conceded two goals that we shouldn't have from from distance, and, and uh, you could say that they were good strikes. I don't think the third one was. I think there was a lot we could do about it, but we we've we've shot ourselves in the foot for a lot of these situations, taking a corner too quickly and not allowing people to be set. That's a simple detail that that a player should should know and understand and. Obviously, the occasions just got to. I, I don't even. Did Adam Armstrong take the short corner too quickly? I, I can't remember who it was. No, no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's a it's a head loss in the first thirty seconds and not listening to the set piece coach um, making an error, and then you've got a player who's made two massive errors um, for goals and then two long distance strikes, and we, we've caused that to ourselves. I, I don't think Sunderland. I think Sunderland played really well, but I think they played really well because we were just poor. Um, and that's something that needs to be improved on against Leicester because Leicester's had a really good start to the year. I know they they lost on the same Saturday that we did. They had a, they had a fantastic start to the year. And they're probably, if, if you want to go on pre-season odds, they're our main rivals for the title. A lot of, um, a lot of pundits went for. So 
that that's something that's got to be good. It's going to be a key fixture early on. And I think with the run of five fixtures we've got now, especially after Sunderland, we've got Leeds, we've got Middlesbrough, we've got Leicester, we've got Ipswich, who are flying high at the moment too. So this sort of run of six games is going to be really key to how we think our season's going to go. Uh, at, at what By the end of September, we'll, we'll, we'll know half of it. Yeah, before we move on to that Leicester game, Oli, is there anything that you really, really want to get off your chest about the Sunderland <laughs> match before we move on? Um, the the fact that we let three blokes, uh, three blokes, well, a bloke do three spins rather, and then knock it out, take a touch, and put an absolute piece doing pirouettes. I, I that was the absolute <laughs> cherry on the top of a disastrous day. The fact, I, I I can't do three spins and put a ball in like that. I couldn't do that just standing up normally. And the fact he had. That amount of time to pick out a pass like that is unbelievable. And then, what was it, a sixteen-year-old on the other end of the of the cross and puts in the back of the net? Um, so I've got any takeaways? I just wanted to rant about that. I just wanted to bring that up and say how much that annoyed me. And that that really cleared everyone off. By that, everyone was like, "Yeah, okay, let's wrap this up and head off." That that it's was like, done. Yeah, that, that's time to turn <laughs> off the telly, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that that's all I wanted to say. I, I just wanted to rant about that. If that's okay. Yeah, that's fine by me. Hopefully there'll be no ranting next week. But let's preview it right now. Southampton versus Leicester. They've won four of their opening five games, but lost to whole City on the weekend, who have been pretty impressive under Liam Rossini. What have you made of the Foxes so far, Mikey? Um, I, I think they've they've been in a similar position to us where it is a new style of play for them. It's, it's, a, it's the disciple of Pep Guardiola coming in and um, and and playing a similar system to what we do. So there's been a lot of changes. Of course, they've lost massive players to them as well. And James Madison, Harvey Barnes, um, Jory Tielemans. So there, there are massive losses for them. Um, but they've managed to keep some of their lads around. And I mean, who's the... Um, uh, Drewsbury Hall. He's had a fantastic start to the season. He's looked like a great player. But I, I think the, the, the balance of it is that they've... Won games by a couple of like one goal, like not 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 many of their games have been dominant performances. So I think that'll be the takeaway for it. They're in a similar position to us. They will hopefully want to. That, that they're probably what we're thinking is: can we strengthen during the international break? Can we get a little bit better during the international break? Um, and and then try and kick on from that. I'm sh- I'm sure they would have loved to have gone similar to us, love to have gone that opening five games, six games unbeaten and going to this international break flying and they've had the same disappointment of losing on the final fixture beforehand but yeah, they're, they're going to be a tough test and I'm, it's my first home game of the season, I'm, I'm going to it, Ooh. so uh, with, the, with the football I've seen this year I, I don't know about if that should be something exciting or not, but um, <laughs> yeah, no the, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, it's Friday night, it's under the lights it's, it's mm-hmm. going to be a good one, fingers crossed Actually, no, the last Friday night under the lights against Leicester, we won't bring that up. So it's just... No, no, no. The last time we played, I'm pretty sure, under the lights, we beat the 1-0. I think Carlos Alcaraz when we... Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, it's, ignore everything else. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charlie Alcaraz, yeah. of course. I forgot can... about that. I don't remember good things. I only remember the bad ones, apparently. <laughs> I mean, that was one of two good home games last season. There were very few there, good games. Very few good things to remember. But this game, it feels like it's got a lot more pressure on it. We're battling around the bottom of the table last season. Hopefully, it's near the top this. And although it's near the start of the season, is there a lot of pressure around this fixture? I think it's very similar to what Mikey said earlier. I think this run of fixtures will really kind of 
test ourselves to see where we expect us to be. If we are going to try and get that, um, I think, I mean, Jamie backed us for the league, but I, I said more playoffs is where I want to be. And these are the teams that are going to be around us. So I think it's an early indicator of, of where we're likely to be and where our quality stacks up against them. I think we will push on further near the end of the season as we kind of develop our style, because I think it will take us a while for us to, to consolidate our style. But I think in terms of quality v quality, we're going to be at a similar level to Leicester. Obviously, we have lost some quality players, but we've kept some as well. And I think Leicester in that same boat as well. Like uh, Mikey said, Shrewsbury Hall, players like Herrera and DD Winks. These are all Premier League players that have had decent amount of time in the Prem and they've got that quality and they will be... Um, that quality will prevail definitely against some of the lower league championship sides. So it'd be interesting to see how their quality matches up to us. So I think it will be a very interesting game to see how it develops. And also that quality as well, where um, is there going to be that, that ability to play out of the press? Is there going to be counterattacks that do get punished and put in the back of the net rather than, than squandered? I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see that quality. And I think it will be, um, yeah, one of the, the games of the week, I think. Before we get on to the score predictions, Russell Martin has got to scratch his head because there's going to be a lot of difficult selection dilemmas. Should Alcaraz come in? Should Suleimana have his first appearance of the season? Should Holgate get dropped? Will Harwood Bellis come in? It's a slightly different situation to the Holgate one because he used to play this style and he's had hopefully by that point two weeks full of training action to get used to the style. Mikey, what would you do if you were the manager? Um... I think it's 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 an interesting sort of dilemma to have because going from five games where we've looked really quite strong, four or five games where we've looked strong, to then going to lose 5-0 to Sunderland and everyone questioning what you're doing and you're like, oh, is this player good enough? Is X player good enough? I think, I think Holgate, if he has a strong two weeks, I can see him still being involved in the side. He, Russell Martin's quite a, he's a lover of plays. He's not someone who's going to uh, fall out. Well, he probably does fall out with players quite often, but Ryan Manning said that the atmosphere and the environment that they have in there, it, it's not um, like you make a mistake, you get dropped. You, he's accepting of the fact that the style of play that he plays, it's going to have errors in it. Like Mason Holgate will make errors and that will be the problem. Um for, for Mason Holgate is if you lose the ball within your own half as a centre half, you're quite exposed. So you, you're gonna you're gonna have those issues. Um, but I think there may be quite a bit of rotation. It'd be interesting to see if Che Adams is in the squad. Of course, Che Adams didn't start on Saturday mainly probably because he wasn't too sure if he was going to be driving to Birmingham and, hmm. and going to Wolves or not. So I think that's that's where there may be. Um, Che Adams might come back in and start as the nine. Of course, Stewart, we don't know how long he's out for, so he may be available for the squad. Adam Armstrong may drop deeper and play him to one of those eights. And would you want two eights of Charlie Alcaraz and Adam Armstrong? I probably wouldn't. Um, but I think that's where all the interest comes in. I, I wouldn't have thought Solomana would start um, on that Saturday, on, on the Friday even. But that that's where there's massive question marks is that there are players coming back into the side, the new signings that have come in. Would Ryan Fraser have to start? That there's there's many different questions. So yeah, I I think Russell Martin does have a lot of time to think about who he's gonna play on Friday. 
some of the players who are away for international duty won't be there to try and force a decision um, on Russell Martin. So I think we can, we may see a slightly mixed up team to the one that we probably think will start against Leicester on Friday. Yeah, Ollie, would you make many alterations? I mean, he made four but between QPR and Sunderland. So now we've lost 5-0. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot more than four alterations that he wants to make. Yeah, um, I think the reason why there's a bit of hype around Suleimana is that people are seeing it as that internal Nathan Teller replacement. They've seen him pl- coming off that right-hand side. There's been quite a few clips now of him going around and neatly slotting the ball away or taking someone on using that pace. Um, so I think he's an exciting player and people just want to see a bit of that excitement. But I also think, like Mikey said, Ryan Fraser could come in and do a really, really good job. Um and it, his his spells when he's come on, he's looked he's looked bright. Um, I think Alcaraz again. He looks he always looks really good off the bench, Alcaraz. But I think sometimes it takes him a while to get going when he starts. Um, so it's another a difficult one. Um, I really think Che Adams is our our best striker um, that we have. I, I know Adam Armstrong's had a brilliant start to the season, but the fact that First of all, that I predicted Che Adams to get top goal scorer, and the fact he stayed is meant that I'm 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 feeling very hopeful. Um, but I do genuinely think he he has um, such a, a wide range of assets that he can bring to the team. He's so good at bringing other players in, but also um, has got a great eye for a finish, especially in the championship level as well. So if we can bring him in, that would be that'd be great, and make sure that he's focused and ready to to get those goals for the rest of the season. Because I think it could make a real difference and not put too much of the burden on um, Adam Armstrong while we're waiting for um, players to come back from injury. So if uh, if Che Adams can come in, I think that'd be great. Um, and then, yeah, just working out that centre-back partnership as well, making sure that it's strong. If, if like you say, Holgate has uh, proved himself in training and looks much more comfortable with the system, then by all means, um, play him and use his experience. But if not, if... Um, if it needs to change, if Che Charles needs to drop in, if uh, Bellis, the new signing, can come in and and works well in that system, then yeah, showing a bit of that uh, defensive solidity because I think we need to really tighten up against Leicester. I think we've given so many chances away, and Leicester are people that I'm I'm fearful of. I think they will punish us if uh, if we give them opportunities. So um, yeah, uh, tightening up that defense I think will be a, a real priority. Right, my favourite time of the podcast, score prediction time, Southampton versus Leicester on the Friday night. Mikey, what do you think is going to happen? I think it'll be close. I, I think it'll be quite a tight game. I'm hoping we're just going to blow them out of the water and, and just, you know, slap them 9-0. Um, but no, I think it'll be... I think it'll be close and I think we might just edge it to one. I think that's more out of hope than, than anything. But I think if we can if we can edge this game, if we can try and bounce back from Sunderland and, and beat Leicester, I think they'll just bring the bounce back to St Mary's and fingers crossed we'll go into this run of fixtures on a real positive and, and try and continue in that way by beating the teams that we think will be around us. And Ollie? I'm going for a 2 all. I think I agree with Mikey's statement. I think it will be very close and I think the scoreline will reflect that. I don't think we'll see a clean sheet. I think we'll see quite a few goals. Um, but yeah, I think I think everyone would be happy leaving the stadium with a, a, a tool and keeping it tight. So that's what I'm going for. 
you know what? I was going to say two two as well. I'm going to stick with it. I've given up with my philosophy of keeping keeping on saying that we're going to keep, we're going to keep a clean sheet because I just can't see it happening. If we can get a point out of this game, then I think we could do really well to take it into the Ipswich one as well. And do you know what? I just hope it's better than last week's score prediction because we got hammered on TikTok <laughs> by a load of Sunderland fans. Me and Jamie specifically because we said it'd be one nil, two nil. Mikey didn't get any of it because he said a nice one one draw. Still incorrect. Uh, but he didn't get any of you. But it's all it's all in good reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> reasonable. I mean, I, you say this. I've not said that we're going to absolutely batter Sunderland, and it, it's come across. No, like, no. It's going to be a nice. Uh, it, does, it does sound like that. You've just yeah, you've just gone. Yeah, no. This will be simple. This will be so <laughs> so simple. But but that's the way things are. And do you know what? I forgot to mention Musa Ginepa. He's moved to standardly age uh, for a small fee. So we we wish him well, guys. What was your favourite Musa Ginepa moment? I'll start with Mikey. Oh, there's some standout ones. Like you can just talk about the goals that he scored for the club. All of them are pretty much worldies. You go Sheffield United and Brighton, and you think, "Oh my word, we've signed Sadio Mane again." I think that was the reaction. It's just like, "Oh my, we scored at the time an absolute worldie," and then you don't see him for three years because he's injured every now and then. And every single time he seems to get a run in the team, he's playing at left back, and he has a fantastic preseason. That, to be honest, though, that is probably my best memory of Musa Gianapo. Everyone will say the goals. But mine will be the preseason games where he played at left back and he looked fantastic. And then everyone put him as our coming up player, our player to prove yeah. everyone wrong that Jamie has fallen into the trap of. And again, he has left the club. So that Jamie's preseason predictions have not gone too well uh, this this season already, and we have just entered September. <laughs> Yeah, I've just realised that he said that a surprise would be one good game and he's not even played a single minute. He hasn't of, played a minute. Of league action. So, yeah, that and the Joel Perot for our top scorer, who's currently at Leeds and has got one goal, uh, probably <laughs> wasn't the brightest move. Uh, Ollie, what was your favourite Moussa Gineppo moment? It has to be the Man City goal, right? Because it just it felt so out of place. I couldn't quite believe what I was watching and what was going on in front of my eyes. So... Um, yeah, that it has to be that. I can't think of anything better. So yeah, that that has to be it for me. Fantastic. That's all we've got time for for this week's episode of the podcast. We reviewed Southampton's transfer activity with Ross Stewart and Taylor Harwood Bellis coming through the door. We had to look back at the 5-0 thumping at the hands of Sunderland and we previewed the game against Leicester. My name's been Harry Tizard. I've been joined by Mikey Maysman. Bye. We boast. Thank you very much for listening. In two weeks' time, hopefully we'll be reviewing a big win against Leicester as well, previewing the games against Ipswich and Middlesbrough. But until then, we'll see you later.